Hi, this is Scott Porch. I'm a TV journalist and a podcast producer for Starburns Audio and Himalaya Media. And hey, this is Philip Molina. I'm one of the hosts of Westeros Weekly. Well, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about this first episode, which has just ended. Uh, The discussion is going to be loaded with spoilers uh, from tonight's episode. So if you have not watched uh, the season premiere of Game of Thrones, uh, you should hit pause and go watch that right now. Yeah, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You've only been waiting for two years. Well, I mean, yeah, at long last, uh, we get a new episode, uh, so what do dragons eat anyway? Yeah, I mean, whatever they want. I love that. Uh, of course, uh, she's, I love how Sansa immediately is like, how am I going to feed these things? <laughs> well, I thought that was an, an interesting, and they referenced it a couple of times in the episode, this sort of real-world grounding of like, we got all these extra people here. What are we going to do for resources? Do you think that's something that's setting up what this battle, I assume the Battle of Winterfell is going to be next week? No, I think uh, it'll be episode three, actually. But I do think that we'll get a little bit more of this uh, political drama. They're trying to really establish that Sansa has really grown into this role as the Lady of Winterfell. And she is going to definitely show off this knowledge until it doesn't matter at all when the Night King is there with his army. And then I think we're really not going to talk too much about uh, how much food they have to eat. And. So Sansa gives Daenerys the side eye uh, a couple of times, and there's a few references in the episode. Are you expecting some headbutting in the next few episodes? Oh, for sure. But I I think that they're definitely also just kind of giving us the, the, you know, they were setting the stage this week to really establish where everyone is. And I think that's also for the emotional conflicts we're going to see. There's no version of having a villain like the Night King who doesn't speak. He's like the shark from Jaws and there not being something going on between the people. That's why in Jaws, you have police chief Brody who has the issue with the mayor and with with other uh, people on the city council because it's got to be between humans, the drama, if you have a silent monster on the other side. Well, there's a little bit of a Walking Dead parallel there, too. And I noticed that I was rewatching the last episode uh, of season seven tonight before the first episode of season eight. And when the white comes out of the box, it reminds me an awful lot of, uh, of the Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we're going to get into all kinds of references that uh, they actually were making in this episode. They were doing, obviously, a ton to season one. Uh, For those listening, we actually will be putting out a full-blown episode of Westeros Weekly tomorrow. We put a lot of research into that show. We take your questions. If you guys actually submit them to us via Twitter or Stardust, on Twitter, use the hashtag Westeros Weekly. On Stardust, just make sure to tag us at New Rockstars. We will include your questions in our show tomorrow and we will give you these really thought out answers i'm actually planning to basically stay up all night uh, writing that show Uh, and then throughout the week we're going to have all kinds of further supplementary material and breakdowns we got new show titles that were completely different we're going to get way into the things that we saw in there i don't know if you, you saw them scott but there's four dragons and a comet in one moment Really interesting stuff that we're going to break down. And then, of course, the episode itself, all the references, all the little Easter eggs that they snuck in there. Well, it sounds like you'll have a lot of your deep digging uh, coming up a little later in the week. And uh, we can just maybe keep hitting a couple of the uh, snap reactions tonight. There were a lot of reunions in the episode. Is there any one in particular that you weren't expecting or that you found especially uh, satisfying? 
Well, I mean, we were expecting all of those reunions. We weren't necessarily expecting them, all of them to happen in one episode, but I'm so grateful that they did because they kind of got them out of the way. And of course, the you know emotionally satisfying one is, is John and Arya. I, I think a lot of people felt some strong emotions when John and Sansa were re- uh, reconnected last season, but we always knew that it was actually Arya that he had a much closer connection to. He's the one that gave her needle, and they always kind of felt a little bit like outsiders in their family who weren't you know, up to what maybe their mom uh, was hoping uh, for for them. But the real one that I actually, you know, knocked me off of my couch a bit was John and Samuel Tarly. I mean, we, you have you have to acknowledge this is the moment of Game of Thrones. This is something that you know has not happened in the books. This is the the biggest uh, <laughs> news in Winterfell. It's going to be obviously like a, a lead story in their newspapers. Uh, that Jon Snow is technically heir to the Iron Throne. That question has been out there since since before this show was made. It's how the executive producers were uh, given the rights to do the show was they were able to guess the true lineage of Jon Snow. And now Jon Snow finally knows this is the biggest news that's ever happened. I don't think any reunion can come anywhere close to that. And I think if that reveal had come from anyone but Sam, it would have been maybe a a question about motivation or authenticity and, you know, sort of Sam is this best combination of kind of the research and history guy and somebody, you know, who's very close to John and is going to tell him the truth. Yeah, I think Sam is uh, analog kind of to George R. R. Martin himself, and you just got to take his word as fact. But also, you got to look at the location that it happens in, in the crypts there, in front of John's, you know, the the tomb, at least, of his, his real mother and his adopted father. It's almost like it was, you know, in front of them to say, yes, they are signing off on this. Uh, this is the true story here. Also, I got to point out that that crypt scene is kind of uh, one of the many callbacks of the pilot episode that they did this one uh, i don't know if you caught these but just first of all the fact that the lord of winterfell is having a very serious conversation with a uh sort of portly friend of his uh, his best friend but in that same conversation in one we had ned stark being asked by robert baratheon to come up and become his hand of the king uh, and here we have samuel tarley asking Jon snow to take his rightful place on the iron throne well, the little boy running through the street at the very beginning of the episode, I, I think, was supposed to evoke Bran from the Absolutely, also. especially yeah. when he's climbing the tree up and yeah. he's trying to get a better view of the incoming royalty. Also, I, that that keeps going, right? It's all just like that first sequence. Arya watching the essentially the king and queen come in. Uh, the hound is, is back in Winterfell. Uh, the, these are all exactly the, in some moments are even a bit shot for shot from the first episode. One thing that they didn't do is for those of you familiar with the curse of Robert Baratheon, uh, it has a lot to do with the very first episode of the series. There's this moment where Robert Baratheon is greeting all the Stark children and just various characters from Winterfell. And he has uh, a touch uh, on various characters and those characters' fates, uh, they, they don't go so well. So I was keeping an eye on when Daenerys Targaryen showed up and she very specifically touched no one and Bran ended it before she could. So the first episode mainly goes back and forth between what's happening at Winterfell and what's happening uh, around Cersei. Do you think that's setting up the long arc of the six episodes more so than what's going to happen with the Night King since that's going to come, you think, probably episode three? 
Yeah, I think that we we are going to see at least a huge uh, moment in the in the story of the Night King happen in episode three, and I think that's going to be a bit of a midpoint of the season. George R. R. Martin always said that his favorite part of the show was the uh, political manipulations that are happening between the characters, and I feel like this, even though he's not involved in exactly plotting this story, I think they're going to honor that a bit by you know ex- revealing what exactly Cersei's real plan is. Actually, that's something we're going to get into in tomorrow's Westeros Weekly episode, is she clearly has a secret plan. It involves Euron. It involves her supposed baby. And we heard Kyburn explicitly say she's got a plan to deal with the queen uh, that's currently in Winterfell. So she's up to something, and I think that's going to unveil itself maybe past episode three. Well, there's a lot of Euron, a lot of Theon and Yara in this episode. Do you think that's setting their part of the story up to move out of the way? Or do you think this whole thing about the Whites not being able to go through water and is all of this part of the long story? I mean, I think Theon is being set up for a redemption arc, of course, uh, and that's with his return to Winterfell. The real question is, will Yara return at any point? They definitely have an opening right now to never see that character again, uh, but it also reminds me a little bit of... You know, well, not just the the potential for what the Knights of the Vale did in the Battle of the Bastards, where they come in last minute and save the day. It also kind of reminds me of the French in the American Revolution, where uh, it was specifically their navy that was of use. And you know, we know the Iron Fleet could definitely oh. uh, lend a hand. That headbutt that Yara, I mean, they they could also name, uh, maybe name a wrestling move, the Greyjoy. You know, like <laughs> head headbutt the other person in the uh, in the face. Yeah, and, uh, definitely seems to be a quick punishment for Theon <laughs> jumping off that ship uh, at the uh, end of uh, last season when he abandoned her and abandoned ship. Uh, but then she's like, well, you know, but you did just save me, which is uh, another repayment, by the way, because she did the same for him. So it's not like they're even. <laughs> John's dragon riding uh, lesson was probably the visual uh, highlight of the episode. Are, are, do you take some... Targaryenness from his ability to learn to ride the the dragon. Do you think this is something only Targaryens know how to do? <laughs> I mean, well, we we got a hint that he knows how to ride a dragon in the uh, last season finale, but <laughs> but I think that in in this one we are supposed to kind of see that you know there's a, a special theme plane and there's uh, clearly a connection there. I think the real question is, does he get to keep Rhaegal? Uh, which is the dragon that that he was riding specifically because so we've we've now seen three dragon riders we've seen John we've seen Danny and we've seen the Night King and so if they each get kind of assigned their dragon and then this is something else we're going to get into in Westeros Weekly uh, when we start debating who technically has the best claim to the throne is there going to be a rift there and does one person get one dragon and one person get another huh. There's one thing that came up, I think it was in the crypt scene near the very end, a, a reference that Robert Baratheon would have murdered John if he had known who his real parents were. Is that because Robert and Lyanna were together? Well, so Lyanna was supposed to marry Robert Baratheon, uh, but I think the implication that we're all supposed to accept is that for some reason, you know, she just wasn't into him. Uh, I can't I can't uh, explain why, but the the thing that we know for sure is that Robert basically stole the throne from the Targaryens. And so he's always been, a, a, there's always been a threat to him by any Targaryen claim. Uh, if you look back, it was season one, episode five, 
Uh, it was called The Wolf and the Lion. Uh, that's the one where Robert tells uh, Eddard Stark that Danny is pregnant, uh, and he uses a, a much less nice term to describe her than her name. Uh, and But then he says very clearly, I want every Targaryen dead. I want Danny dead. I want her brother dead. And I specifically want this new baby dead. Uh, and this is actually the, the first big rift he has with Ned Stark as Hand of the King, where you know Ned thinks that if he uh, wants a baby dead, that's unforgivable. Uh, uh, and he 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 doesn't care at all. Uh, so absolutely, that's uh, trying to lay in parallel with what Ned knew was true. There is a Targaryen baby out there. That means you definitely would want him dead. Another callback uh, to the very first episode of the series was was at the very end where you see the the dead kid nailed to the wall with the arms all around him, and it was kind of reminiscent of uh, the body parts at the very very beginning of the first episode. What was your what was your take on that? Man, I I loved that moment. That it was straight out of a horror movie, uh, which I kind of hope that they kinda, they lean into that with the directing of anything related to the Night King. We've seen that symbol a couple times now. Um, we kind of refer to it as the Night King's sigil. Uh, but you know, I kind of also think it looks like a shrimp cocktail, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what? What it also kind of looked like specifically this episode. Uh, just once they lit it on fire, it suddenly reminded me so much of the Targaryen sigil. Uh, with the various heads of the dragon, if you you know look that up uh, uh, online, you'll see there's there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I'm not sure if that's purposeful, but it could be as anything else on the show. Um, we actually though have another theory about what that specific symbol could mean and what message is being uh, declared on that wall. But that's something we're getting into in the show tomorrow. Uh, any other black quickie observations from the episode? Odd things you noticed? Well, we're definitely, I'll tell you that the, one of the big things that we're going to go into tomorrow that I'm really excited about is what the deal is with Arya's secret weapon that she's asking Gendry to build. Uh, we think that there's a couple of options of what exactly she's trying to get him to, to build for her here, but uh, we have a decent guess based on a very obscure weapon found in actually our real world history. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of explain what that is. Uh, you can find that in tomorrow's episode, too. And then where do you put the episode overall? Pretty good, above average, very good. Oh, I mean, I'm super biased, right? So I think uh, it's a we got a new Game of Thrones episode means it's a good year. Uh, so I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy. But I- I'll say that it's certainly uh, to me is indicating if we're doing all this table setting now, it's because they are going to jam pack some action into the rest of these episodes. All right. Well, I will uh, hopefully uh, listen to the uh, new episode tomorrow then. Well, you better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. All right. See you, bud. Thanks for listening to this quick snap reaction to the Game of Thrones Season 8 premiere. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed if you want to listen to more snap reactions, Westeros Weekly, where we answer your questions every week, and all of our in-depth breakdowns of all the deeper meanings and hidden secrets that they sneak into each episode. Those will be coming out here before they even come out on a YouTube channel. Lucky you. All right, I got to get back to work. Thanks for listening.